One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, everybody. A quick audio note before the show begins to tell you that we have indeed changed our name by podcast deed poll. The eagle-eared listeners among you will have noticed that Total Football is no more. We just felt it was too original a name and it might be putting people off. So we've taken the opportunity to have a little renovation of this podcast. We've used the long, long summer break to, to have a serious look at what we're doing. And we've decided that a new name is a great way to sum up everything we're trying to do. So we are now the Telegraph Audio Football Club or AFC Telegraph, as it will be spoken out loud. We're going to have more voices here with me inside the audio recording facility, a few new ideas, but hopefully the same combination of very pleasant, but extremely informative football chat. We hope very much you enjoy it. Podcast fans, I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. AFC Telegraph is here. On today's episode, we explore the limited body of work so far of Unai Emery at Arsenal. We ask, what is he trying to do? How is he trying to do it? And what did we learn from his first Premier League game against Manchester City? Also, will we ever get used to the sight of him sitting in Arsene Wenger's padded dugout seat in North London? A whole weekend of Premier League football is ours to get into, including an impressive start to life for Chelsea's new manager, Sarri, the man with a name like a sassy apology. We'll ask what the optimum number of transfers is for clubs trying to make a go of it in the top flight, and crucially, the star of the entire footballing weekend, a silly goose. But first, we've decided to add an element of challenge to this year's podcast with a new feature we're calling Mystery Player. Each week, we'll begin with a footballer giving some roundabout clues to their identity, which will be revealed at the end of the podcast. Your prize for a correct guess is a cocktail of warm satisfaction and smug delight. Here is our first mystery player. Hello, you might recognise me from when I wore the number five shirt at Southend United. Not that that will tell you too much about where I played on the pitch, though. Yep, it's a thinker. Stick around until the end of the programme to hear who it is. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by my AFC Telegraph teammates. First of all, Matt Law. AFC? AFC Telegraph. <laughs> That's what we're calling it, Matt. Is it? Is this Did what we are? Did you not get the season? memo? No, that wasn't on the email. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't agreed to that. How are you, Matt? All good, thank you. Yep, all into into the swing of things already. Good Community news. shield down, first Premier League match down, so off we go. You sound delighted. And to your left, Matt, it's Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Exhausted. Oh, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I already feel like the season needs to be over. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is not the mood we should be starting the season with. Yay, I'm so excited. That's more like it. That's why I, know, I know that our final guest is going to be excited. It's JJ Ball. How are you, JJ? Hello. I'm very excited. Full of energy. It's a great season already so far. In Scotland, you said. Yeah, uh, also England. Season. And just everywhere. Europe, the world. 
I think it's already a great time we're having. Fantastic. We're in a well, good moment. We will start in England. We'll start at Ashburton Grove, where we witnessed the birth of a new era at Arsenal, which looked weirdly similar to the old era. Uh, a 2-0 defeat to Manchester City. Clearly a long way to go still for Arsenal, Matt Law. But what are they trying to do differently under Unai Emery on the evidence of Sunday's game? They're trying to pass the ball out from the back at every single opportunity. Well, which... they, well they weren't direct under Wenger, were they? They weren't direct, but... Talking about memos not being passed around, it didn't look like it quite got to Petr Cech properly yesterday because it looks like he's going to need a little bit of time with this one because very early on it became apparent that he's not that comfortable with his feet and having to uh, to pass it out every time. And he nearly scored one of the best stone goals that I'd have ever seen if that had gone into the net. <laughs> but I mean, when you say, you know, same old Arsenal, the, the result was, but it did actually feel different. The whole atmosphere was very different. There weren't a lot of angry people around everyone seemed to accept that this is going to take a little bit of time and and the style of play was different definitely I mean not just the passing out from the back they were trying to press further up the pitch they got picked off quite a lot by City but you could see what he was trying to do and the team selection was brave too you know he'd bought a 20 million pound goalkeeper but keeps in check and makes him captain. That's just out of politeness, though, isn't it? You don't, <laughs> you don't drop the sort of the, the the man who's in possession of the jersey but, so early. Well, he wasn't fully in possession last season, though. Ospina is actually playing probably more than him. He put the 19-year-old lad Gwenduzi in in midfield, the David Luiz lookalike, who made a lot of mistakes, but I actually think has got something about him. Was quite brave, kept trying things. I actually thought there was a bit of encouragement there in spite of the result. What did you make of it, Mina? Emery, to me, just looks wrong in the job. I I realise part of that is because Wenger was there for so long and and it's just surreal seeing anyone else there on the touchline. But do you ever just get the feeling that someone's face doesn't fit for the job? Is he going to be the man who's going to make it all okay at Arsenal, do you think? I don't know. I know that he is... um... He's very particular with his details. I do understand that I feel like this is the wrong time to judge him because it's obviously his first match and rather than being able to play a sort of game in which you can impose a style and see the great arsenal that he's trying to build, it was more like let's just put a team together that can stop these champions from like overrunning us and just destroying us. So it was more of a reaction type of team than one that I would imagine Arsenal would be going forward. But it is, you know, it is Emery trying to sort of, you can see him trying to counterattack, but his team is just making the wrong mistakes. I didn't think the two wide players, you know, you needed a more direct sort of players there rather than the likes of Mesut Ozil and Mkhitaryan. I don't think that worked very well. You can see what he's trying to do, but it, the fact that it's against Man City means that you don't have a chance to understand his tactics and it definitely seems that you know we talked about Chelsea and Maurizio Sarri needing to adapt this is a team that needs to adapt to a whole new regiment to a whole new sort of style of play to the fact that there's just a coach now and not Arsene Wenger who has his eye over everything. Gary Neville was saying on Sky it's going to take four transfer windows for Emery which which seems quite generous are the fans going to stick with him that long do we think? It's not going to take four transfer windows though because they haven't got the money so they can't go out in every transfer window and spend 100 million and do it that way it's part of that not just because it's going to take that long for them to learn what he wants to do. Well, it's, do. Going to, it's going to take a long time for them to learn what he's going to do, but I, don't, I think transfer windows is a, is a red herring with Arsenal because I don't think they can do it in a transfer window. I mean, this summer they've spent about £70 million, and the way they've bought, they've had to buy a lot differently from their rivals. You know, Lichtersteiner, I think, yesterday was the oldest player in the Premier League era to ever make his debut for Arsenal. He's almost 35. One of their best players yesterday as well. Yeah, he was decent, yeah. to be fair. So I just don't think that transfer windows are going to do anything because they're just not going to... I don't see them going... For instance, if they're 7th or 8th come January, they're not going to go out and spend £80 to try and 
bringing a load of players. He's got to do it with what he's got. I just don't know if it's wise because even if you do give him all the money and even if you give him all this time to build something, his style of play and the very ideal version of Emery's tactics is never going to be better than Klopp's plan A with Liverpool or Pep Guardiola's plan A with City. So it's about whether or not he is going to have that or just become more of a team that adapts to the situation and just tries to get there. But I, I kind of see him building a side, even with everything he has, that's going to be better than what you've got and with your rifles. I think I agree with that. But then to, for them to do that, he has to have better players than other teams for that to, to work and they're not going to have better players than other. No. And I don't know if his tactics are better than, even if, if they all have the best players, are his yeah. tactics better than that of Klopp's or... I guess it's how he gets the players on board. I thought it's clearly a work in progress. They look nervous, unsure. You can see there's hangover bits from Wenger still. Like Aaron Ramsey was so far forward all the time. He's probably pulled back. Check him out after the game and said he enjoyed enjoyed it. Did you? <laughs> it didn't look like he was. Yeah. I liked um, uh, the young French lad, Gwendouzi. Yeah, very well done. Yeah, thank you. Close enough. I was very close to that, yeah. Um, and I thought he was very close to having a good game as well. Um, a lot of Arsenal fans have said he was their best player in pre-season. He was so nervous for the first. I think he got a big talking to by Emery on the yeah, sidelines. half an hour in. Yeah, he was chatting to him. And then um, I don't know what he seemed like actually watching him live in the game, but I thought he grew into it by the end. He was really good at winning the ball and shielding it, but uh, he made so many big errors that yeah. he'll probably cut out as he... Yeah, I, I thought it. that. I, I was impressed with how, how brave he was. He, he didn't hide. He, he kept yeah. trying to put himself in position, kept looking for the ball, kept trying things. There was a lovely little ball over the defence he tried at, at one point in the second half. I was really, I thought his performance was actually really encouraging despite making some horrendous errors. I agree. I mean, he actually put Aguero through on, on goal at one point in, in the second half. And normally when players make as many errors as he did, you'd be saying they had a nightmare. But because of his age and because it was his first ever game in the Premier League against that team, what he showed, I thought, was, was very encouraging. And I thought it was encouraging that, that Emery put him in and actually didn't take him off as well and, and let him have that game. It, it reminded me of something Pochettino would have done. What about City, JJ? Do you think they've got any better over the summer on the evidence of Sunday? Uh, yeah, they'll. I mean, you can't see it now. Mendy's a big difference for them, isn't he? That, that was sort of the possible only chink in their armour last year at left-back. Yeah, I mean... There's ways to beat them, there's ways that they'll lose and they'll not play amazingly every single week. It's all about keeping the mentality and the energy going. Their bench was phenomenal yesterday, they didn't even use you know, the bench. Uh, <laughs> it was. I think the Sky Sports commentators yesterday were saying that it was a bit of a freak game for Arsenal because you know Man City are just so good and not every team will play like that and I think that's right. You have like Bayern Munich where, well, Guardiola says and that Marty Perrin now a couple of books he's got. Pep says that their best performances were the third season because then you've got everything in there, everything learned. They can adapt fluidly in games. So, they, I mean, they start with a four, but it always turns into a three. Then it changes all the way through. You saw it yesterday. They were getting a 2v1 versus Maitland-Niles on the right and they just kept going for it and going for it until he had to come off injured. Listeiner got close to it. And then as soon as Listeiner was getting tight to Mares, the first thing Mares did was he got a little dunt in the back the second time the ball came, he controlled it first time and then rolled it behind him and left Lichsteiner going. So as soon as someone adapts to them, their players are so good that they can get round them. I just think they're so much fun to watch. 
Absolutely terrifying team in prospect. Let, let's move on to some snap impressions of the biggest teams in the Premier League. The team we, teams we expect to be up there in the Champions League places at the end of the season. Obviously too early, but let's be reckless. Friday night, it was Man United 2, Leicester 1. Uh, Pogba a lot better for United, Mina. What, what did you make of Manchester United in their opening game? Sort of pretty much what you would expect of United, you know. Obviously good never seem to be a side that really have that desire to just keep scoring goals and keep creating this, having this attacking flair. It's let's get a goal, then let's defend that goal. Oh no, you know, like what's going to happen now? We need another goal. It, it Nothing seems to click. They don't have the fluidity that I would like to see of a club of their stature. I understand that it's a bit of a depressed atmosphere. I do think Paul Pogba was very good which is quite funny because I almost feel like now he's got it in his head that he's got to prove himself and he's got to prove Mourinho wrong. But No bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to be good. They're going to probably, you know, be there in the top three, but still nothing of a special team to watch play. I didn't think they were that good. No, I agree. I, oh, I, I, no, I, I thought they were poor. Yeah, I thought, I thought actually Leicester, for a long period of the first half, was sort of better than them, dominated possession better than the them. they side from Norwich looked great for Leicester. Madison's Madison, particularly yeah. first half, didn't he? And I, I didn't think they were... The, and then towards the end of the game, I thought they got sort of rocky at the back as well, United. I, I didn't think... I don't expect Leicester to be great this season. I didn't think it was a particularly convincing performance. And I thought, I mean, he might do. I, I expected to see, there were some nice little flashes, but I expected to see more of Sanchez because I keep hearing now he's had this summer of rest, which he hasn't had his whole life. Um, <laughs> and, and he's, uh, you know, he's meant to be settled in now and blah, blah, blah. And I, I actually really expected a big performance from him. I, I switched on thinking he's going to tear them apart. And, a few little bits and bobs, but nothing that made me think, oh, OK, we're going to see the best Alexis Sanchez. So I, was, I was disappointed with United. He looks a bit broken to me, yeah. Alexis Sanchez. It looks like he's there's something broken you can't quite fix. Like when you've got, I don't know, a porcelain model and it breaks a little bit and you try and glue it back together, but it's never really the same. It looks the same, but maybe, it's not. Maybe he needed the World Cup. Maybe that was what was going to uh, fix maybe, him. He looks annoyed as well already, doesn't he? He looks frustrated and annoyed and there was a little exchange with yeah. Pogba before the penalty and everything. He was doing that. I remember when he signed last season... And his first game in, he was going, ah, throwing his arms in the air at people that he's never really met before. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing, though. He's trying to present this brand, and he's clearly he's a very talented player, but he works almost <laughs> he works almost too hard, Clive. But uh, <laughs> it's just it's to the detriment of other players. And there's the things Arsenal fans are frustrated with them. You know, like little chip balls in the area that go to no one. And yeah. if, there's, if there's someone who's good who can get on the end of it, it kind of works. But the thing I thought was funny about Manu, I was saying, is um, it's a very tenuous uh, statistic when people don't like it but XG the quality of a goal scoring chance I thought Leicester's link up play was really good loads of little, little flicks and dancing Leicester around very good. And, and you saw at the end when they scored you thought that there's a very good chance that they're just going to equalise and do something yeah. really special in the final and they were so shaky United but do you really expect more from Mourinho now? I, I don't know I mean what he's trying to create that siege mentality which is obvious everyone knows it so I wonder whether that works anymore once you tell someone you're doing it or you make it clearly obvious you're what we're doing here is a very clever thing, so <laughs> you'll learn later. You just told me. But then you've got Pogba, like you're saying, he looks fired up. I'm going to prove you wrong. Maybe that's the plan. Because now he, he, was, he was so good against Leicester. And he stepped up for France at the World Cup. Like Maybe that's working. But then he used to have very talented players that worked hard in his other, his other teams. And the players he, do, he has do work hard, but it's not in that same aggressively defensive way. And so I don't know how he creates that same mentality now with the players he's got. 
Luke Shaw scored as well, of course, so maybe it's all playing off. Maybe it's all uh, one big long game from Jose Mourinho. Uh, Chelsea, Matt, a team you know better than anyone. Nowhere near as bad as we are. You you might laugh. The record is there. The Matt Law Chelsea exclusive record is there. Uh, They were nowhere near as bad as uh, as people have made out they might be. Uh, 3-0 win at Huddersfield on the opening weekend of the season. Does Maurizio Sarri strike you as a Chelsea manager who could last a while there? Nobody's a Chelsea manager who could last a while. Absolutely nobody. It's in, it's in, it doesn't exist. I've covered them far too long to start thinking people will last a while. It amused me on Friday, actually. He already started talking about next pre-season, how he wants to do it differently. I thought, well, steady on. You haven't been in here very long. He's going to. He's certainly going to need time. I mean, that, that, that result is a good result for them, but I'm, I'm not sure it's indicative of how they're going to be for the first half of the season. I think it's going to be rocky. I think it's going to be up and down. I think we're going to see some real flashes of... of Sorry, ball and, and, and good stuff, but I also think they're going to have some, some poor results. He's got a lot to do. Changing that back three or back five, whichever side of the fence you sit, to a back four, I think is going to cause problems. I don't think any of the defenders are natural fits for a back four, particularly, that he's got. My early impressions are of him, as I, I quite like him. He's, he's quite open. He's, he's not trying to be secretive about what he's trying to do. The, the, funny, the strange thing I can't get over with him, though, for Chelsea managers, it's so unusual for them to appoint someone who's never won anything. Mm. I mean, he's changed clubs an awful lot as well. So it'd be really interesting to see how he adapts now to England and to Chelsea. And funnily enough, talking about people whose faces don't don't fit, I think he looks odd as a... As, a, as Chelsea manager, he wears this really oversized sort of training t-shirt. Very casually dressed. Yeah, yeah. Which, my wife was uh, appalled watching it on it, it looks, day. He does look like he may have stepped out of one of my <laughs> Ashley's shops, to be quite honest with you. And Friday had his kind of glasses perched on the top of his head. It's a very unique look. But he, I, they'll be very, they're always very interesting. There's always stuff going on at Chelsea. And they've got, they have got, I don't think the defence fits at the moment at all, but further up the pitch, the midfield, particularly the options they've got in midfield are, there are a lot. It'll be very interesting to see how he, he works them all into a team. I don't know. I agree with you. I don't think his face fits. Like when when you see him there on the sidelines, almost like he just doesn't belong. Despite the fact that I think that he's such a good coach and he can do something special, I'm just worried about uh, when things when he has to play a game every three days, whether or not his tactics and what he has to work with is not the most flexible. He likes it being his ideal way. And if that happens, how is that going to affect the Chelsea? The criticism of Napoli, wasn't it, when he was there, was that he, he wouldn't rotate the team particularly. Never. It was just always the same team. Always, yeah. yeah and and he's, he's so big on chemistry. And so that it's a bit like the opposite problem of Conte because what Conte had was he had a basic tactical plan and he just needed legs and yeah. you know yeah. the mental capacity to keep up. But Sadi doesn't want that. He just wants his players, the intellect, the understanding of how to pass it so that that person's going to read it properly. So it's all about chemistry. So he'd rather just have the same one. So it's the opposite problems, but same results. It's still people are going to be tired. You know? This is the first Napoli to really fire when Sari was there. Uh, to be honest, in his first season, everyone was like, OK, well, he's not doing so well in his first three matches. Yeah. You know, d- didn't start with a bang or anything like that. Then beat Lazio beat Juventus, had Gonzalo Higuain, obviously that helped a lot, you know. What's so impressive with him is that he is an in, the ultimate innovator. So if he, you know, just imagine if Mauricio Pochettino right now loses Harry Kane, like what's he going to do? But but somehow Sadi always finds a, a way of keeping it going and he'll transform someone and he'll make it work. So he's very good in that sense. But Napoli kicked off after that, started beating the big teams and of course, you know, developed their plan better. Their defence, though, 
that's what takes a lot of time, in my opinion. And you're saying it now, the defence mm. doesn't look great. No, it doesn't. I mean, changes that for it'll be. He, he put Mertens to centre forward, didn't he? After he, yeah. he lost Higuain, I wonder whether he might have a look at Hazard. He had Higuain, then had Milik, who right. immediately got injured. So then he had again no options now. Right. Well, Hazard remain an option for him, Matt? Is there is there any? Oh yeah, definitely. No, no chance no of going before the European window. No, first. and certainly no chance January as well. So he he's there for the season. He's accepted that, and he's clearly at the moment going to work on Morata a little bit. And and he's got a very good record, it looks like, of, of getting the best out of strikers. But talking about players who look, who look a bit broken, with Sanchez, Morata looks broken. And if Pedro and William are doing well at some stage, I could I could well see him having a look at Hazard through the middle. I was at Highbury when Arsene Wenger arrived and have played at every level of the football pyramid. Moving on to Merseyside, it was Liverpool 4, West Ham 0 on Sunday at lunchtime. You were uh, on live blogging duties for this one, JJ. Yes. Uh, how impressed with Liverpool were you? They look really good. High, high octane, wasn't it? It was, it was yeah. sort of the best of what we saw from them last year, really. Do you know what? It's, it's quite exciting for Liverpool fans. Uh, the thing with this Liverpool team now, Klopp's tactical system, it's all about the energy and momentum and the mentality and everyone is totally bought into it. Like He's achieved 100% buy-in from players, fans, everyone. And it's when it works, I don't know how you stop it. It's really difficult. You put a low block, they find a way through. You try and press them, they find a way through. I, I like that West Ham tried, they, turned, they spent lots of money in the summer, they built a team and they tried to have a bit of a go and they were taken apart by a couple of mistakes. It was an offside goal as well, which didn't, didn't help, but that was when they were already two down. And I think if Liverpool, this is the problem they had last season, if they can't, go into every game with that momentum and energy and get fired up. You know, if you've got a big game against a big rival, you get fired up. Yeah, here we go. And then you've got that every three days and you're playing against, without disrespect, Burnley or Southampton or something like that. And how do you get buzzed every single game? So you need options. They've got some good young players waiting in the wings. Then maybe Keita was really good when he came on. He was, came on, he was someone there from the start. Love that, love that he was sort of driving forward, like yeah. continuing his run into the ball. He was supposed to be sort of a, a little bit more of a conservative player, wasn't he? But he like he looked desperate to get on the end of crosses and stuff, like bombing into the ball. Oh, box. he's more of a box-to-box kind of player, just charges from one to the other. Really creative, but he can also sit. Sturridge came on and scored with his first touch. That's a goal scorer's did skill. His, did his funny little dance. He did, You can't yeah. be doing that dance after the time he's had. I'm not happy. <laughs> he looks, he looks slightly reluctant that, yeah. to it. Yeah, he looks slightly embarrassed about you've it. To, you've got to wait a while before you're breaking out the dance moves when you haven't scored in about three years and barely played. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. muscle memory at this point, I think. He's just going through the motions, literally. Uh, what about Tottenham Hotspur, Matt? Uh, they uh, they won at Newcastle in the, uh, in the first game of the weekend on Saturday. Why didn't they buy anyone? <laughs> Daniel Levy, <laughs> probably the reason. Is it a mistake? So difficult, this question, because they're better off buying no one than buying Vincent Janssen and Sissoko. I know Sissoko played, but all the the kind of players that they've bought when they haven't got the ones they've wanted in recent years have just been a waste of time. So I think they're better off not buying and and looking at some of the kids – than, than buying rubbish, basically, which their transfer windows, other than Davinson Sanchez, their last like three or four transfer windows have been a disaster. No, nobody's come in and done anything for them. But they clearly wanted players, you know, and it's ridiculous to think that there's not, not anybody out there who they could afford who could improve the squad. But I thought it was a really good result, though, because given the, the summer they've had, the fat players coming back from the World Cup, how many was going to kind of risk putting straight in. I, I thought that 
was a potential banana skin for them up at Newcastle. So I was, I was impressed with the result. But yeah, it's, it's going to be really, really interesting to see whether it catch, catches up with them at, at any point. I, I, I suspect that it was probably the right thing to do if they couldn't get who they actually wanted. I agree too, to be honest. I, I just think that if you are going to buy the players, it'll probably be so that you don't have a slow start like they had last year, just because of the World Cup and how many play, of their players were involved. But considering Pochettino's tactics and how long it takes for them to really understand and learn the patterns of play, it would take six, seven months anyway for them to embed themselves within the team and be actually important and make an impact. On that, is, are we expecting a bit more from Lucas Moura this year? Because he's had that six, seven months now and he, he looks incredible uh, at points at PSG. I've always been a huge fan and I always feel that he has something really special. It's never come out. It didn't come out in PSG. I don't think that's a team that necessarily is very good at developing players. It's more just a, let's just put them all together and see what brilliance they can come up with on an individual level. But you can see more from him. I thought Luke Amos was amazing in the ICC. That's someone that... The great thing about... The ICC? Wow. (laughs) It's at the International Champions Cup. You bought you bought into it. Don't know what it. Yeah, I've totally bought into wow. it. Wow, wow! It's a real thing, though. It's a chance to see the youngsters and which yeah. one's going to do something special. Okay, like you, you can know you know that he's really good at sort of developing his players. You know, there's Harry Winks. You know that. So perhaps on that level, they can do something special. But I think that the biggest problem is not necessarily their players. I've always thought they had a good squad. It's just about knowing how to play the moments and if they can just improve in that way and have perhaps chemistry will serve them. Having the same players, the same squad for another year and just working on their mentality will improve. They're the best team in Europe when the pressure's off. They're amazing when the pressure's off. The moment the big pressure comes on, they haven't yet quite stood up. And that isn't necessarily to do with buying players. It's just a bit of a mentality throughout the club. And I've actually thought a few times, I'm such a big Pochettino fan, but my one criticism of him is I think he's let his players off the hook a little bit with that rather than being a little bit harsher of, no, this is a moment you've got to do it rather than making a few excuses for them. I agree with you, but there's also there's part of him that I was a little bit, I'm huge, I agree. He's my favourite coach probably in the Premier League actually. But just like in the Champions League, if someone pulls the rug out from under you like Juventus did to them, his reaction time was too slow. Yeah. So it's it's he needs to develop how to react as quickly as he wants his players to to a bad situation and I think they're all sort of just learning on the job so perhaps another year altogether maybe that just will be the as, yeah as well I'd say not in the terms of their future as a club but they've hit a bit of a ceiling whereas the players who make them better the market now cost about a hundred and something million and it's it's not worth that and I agree you look at the kids so to 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 buy a player in Who's not at so to buy a player who's Premier League top four level ready is hundred something plus to improve the team. To buy a player who could be that good within a year, who's from one of the teams in Europe, they're gonna know his potential already and he's gonna cost about 70, 60 because there's room for potential so it grows. So what's the point of wasting all that money in there when you've got a team who's already achieving that and you could bring in players from your own youth team, you can sign them from the cheap from elsewhere, bring them up and sell them on if they're not good enough for the team or then you've got it's just yeah, you're just kind of stuck. On the subject of buying players, it wasn't a brilliant weekend for the teams who invested very heavily this summer. Fulham, West Ham and Brighton all lost, all bought a lot of players. Wolves and Everton drew with each other. They were big recruiters as well. But generally, the narrative over summer is always about oh how well those teams have done, how well they've done in the transfer market, how promising they all look. What do we think is the optimum number of signings to make in a summer? How I, many is too many? I remember a press conference. He's not a great example in terms of his success rate with signings particularly in recent years. 
But I remember doing a press conference with Arsene Wenger who came up with a very eloquent explanation that I can't properly remember of why four players was the optimum number of players to introduce into your squad. I can't remember what that explanation was, unfortunately, which isn't great for this podcast. But four, <laughs> four he thought, was the magic number and that any more you were taking a big risk and that it was, all, it was going to be very difficult in a season to manage any more than four. Even if you're not playing them all, you've got to manage the fact that you've got to put them on the bench and have new players come in and bench them and stuff. So I'm going with Wenger, four. Any objections? <laughs> got Any advance on four? <laughs> Didn't realize there's a proper. I think it number. depends on the coach, right? If yeah, you are, definitely. if you are like a club and you need really fast players, and you are playing a heavy schedule every three days, or like I said, Antonio Conte, then I think you probably need about about four or five. But if you're somebody who is looking to develop this specific idealistic type of game in the likes of Pochettino or Sari or Pep Guardiola than just one or two world-class players, I think, is enough. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense because it depends entirely on the manager, the team, the club, what you've got, what you can afford, what your ambitions are. Wolves have signed really good players, but they're trying to go a step above from where they were before. Fulham have signed really good players trying to stay in the Premier League. And have have Fulham signed really good players? Have Fulham. I'm not, I'm not down with the Fulham narrative of they've signed like really good players. Mitrovic has never done anything in the Premier League, ever. If you'd have said like this time last year you're buying Mitrovic for 22, 24 million, you'd be like, why? Yeah, um, but then the Sherlock, I think, will be past it. I don't think Sherlock, I think Sherlock's a name signing. Seri is an interesting one. I think there must be a reason why so many big to middling big clubs haven't gone for him. They've brought a guy from Marseille I've never heard of. They've brought a Bristol City left back, apparently good in the championship. Great. Callum Chambers, who's a disaster. I'm just not having. <laughs> Fulham are going to prove me wrong now and qualify for Champions League aren't they? and you can replay this I'm just not well, having it I just think people get so drawn into oh haven't they had a brilliant transfer it was window? Everton last season money, wasn't yeah. it everyone was going they've there, spent money it. and they've spent money on names who kind of grab your attention I don't think there's any basis on which to claim Fulham have had a wonderful transfer window well you see I think differently because I think they've signed Mitrovic because they know he fits the way they want to play and uh, it's maybe not he just scores all the goals that he did in the championship because he won't. He's, I don't think he's maybe just quite at that level in the Premier League. But he does what they want and he costs 22 million now. That's what he costs. Like five years ago, he would be 10. But that's just the difference now. And they have to sign that kind of player. Then they've got Seri in midfield who, I mean, he was linked with Barcelona. He almost went there once. He's his, uh, when you look at those weird hexagonal things, you can compare to different sorts of other players in the past. He's very much like, like Xavi in the way he controls um, the passing of a team and that's going to be a step up. You don't want to disrupt the team too much with what they had in the championship. So by adding that bit of quality and I think you kind of knows... For instance, do you remember when Stoke bought Imbula and everyone know, thought that was going to be a Hughes. great signing? I, I see John, John Percy today is writing that they're, they're trying to just basically get rid of Imbula almost for free. Yeah. I mean, Seri strikes me that he could be that kind of player. He seemed like everybody's fifth or sixth choice. He could be, but then he was... So highly thought of, like even a couple of years ago, like the biggest clubs were linked with him. Maybe there's something up with his mentality. Maybe it's wasn't Christian Eriksen like everyone's fifth or sixth choice. To be yeah. honest, I mean, I, I remember when we were linked to him, I was like, absolutely not. We know. being, but then AFC oh yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he just always looked like oh, you weren't too sure that he'd ever really make it in the big matches under pressure. And what kind of team did he have to have around him? And does he need to be the focal point? And then he was amazing. But then others that you think will be, it's, I mean, Milan at the time, obviously this was the famous story in Serie A, bought in like 
10 of the best potentials and great players and, and, and Leonardo Bonucci was considered the best defender that Pep Guardiola wanted and they just they just fell flat on their face because it was just way too many new signings that they couldn't and there were too many potentially good players but rather than actually good yeah. proven so I think there has to be that right balance of bringing in sort of a fighter as well as a technical player as well as a veteran as well as a you know, youngster it's just getting that right mix yes and Callum Chambers probably doesn't fit any of those categories <laughs> I'm interested in the sort of middle reaches of the Premier League we saw wins for Bournemouth Palace and Watford this weekend all are beginning to look a little bit like part of the furniture now how do you become average in the Premier League <laughs> what do teams have to do to get to that point where, where it feels like they're a natural Premier obviously we lost Stoke last year who, who very much were that team but, but it's quite a challenge isn't it because how do you motivate players and how, and how do you establish yourself in that way just hire Mark Hughes and fire him and hire <laughs> oh that does not work as a like QPR fan I have, to, I have to say that does not work isn't it? it's not a shortcut to anything this is a bit of a weird thing to say but I think if you don't have a clear style of play and a clear strategy for what you're trying to do then you just become middling so Burnley have a clear strategy a clear way of playing and Sean Dice builds around that and it really works and that's what he did so well last season Everton will probably be the same this season and under Silva he's got clear ideas and you look at the top six they're all very individual I mean Pep Guardiola you can tell exactly that he's different from everyone else Mauricio Sarri will have something very individual and Klopp's the same Southampton will be maybe a 3-5-2 maybe a 4-2-3-1 there's no clear style It's the whole point is to try and win they'll win some they'll lose some They'll draw others. They'll sign players who are middling that won't really go in anywhere. Some youth players come through and it's go It's all fine else. if they stay up, though, isn't it? Like that, that's all the is owners it? really want is just to be part of that. No, have a go. Train. Have a go. I'd much rather see a team really go for it and then... Go for what, though? I mean, this is the problem, essentially the problem with the Premier League. There's no way anyone's going to break that top six. And it becomes, yeah. what are you actually going for? The style thing's an interesting one and how you become an established player. Most of them, I mean, Stoke with Pulis had the style, and they became an established Premier League team. They were going to stick to it. Bournemouth with Eddie Howe, completely different style, mm. but it's a, it's, a, it's a philosophy of the club, isn't it? I think that does help. The ones who chop and change tend to be the ones who, who, who go down pretty quickly. It's going right for Watford. They are the exception to the rule. They're the massive exception to it, to every single rule going, and, and they've done well with it. Is, um, but is that because like, this, it's not so much the playing style, but it's the structure of the club is so established there that the manager doesn't make much of a difference, and even loads of player turnover doesn't make much of a difference? Yeah, although the, there's so many examples of that not working that it's, it has to be quite a unique setup for that to, that to work. It, it seems to be with the Premier League, I think if you, you kind of stay in for three about three seasons, then you tend to, to become, you know, that, that average average Premier League. So it's a really good question, though. It's a difficult one to answer. Do you have any? No, I was going to, I agree with both of you. It's, <laughs> it is exactly just establishing sort of a philosophy and having all, and also having just management. Each one has a task and you don't sort of infringe on someone else's task. I think that's important. The only reason why is obviously the Pozzo family are so good at recruiting talent and yeah. also recruiting the right manager who works with that talent. So everyone's on board, at least on a certain philosophy, even if there isn't a style of play as such. But they're perhaps one of the only families I feel and or club owners that can do that. It is that if you're just sort of going with the flow and just being a reaction team, then you'll make it or you don't make it. But it makes sense that um, there's a... A ceiling for those teams as well that can't get like if you have a go, what do you aim for? You aiming for seventh, eighth? I think it's still important for fans who pay. I mean, this is a very basic comment, but if you, you pay money to go and watch your team play, it's so dull to watch a trying team fail heroically at the last as they draw nil nil or, or win one nil. If there's if, if you have a style of play that is a, a, attacking in intent, 
and you're defending in that way and you still lose, I think that's much better. This, this might sound come across as being ignorant or something because a lot of teams survive, you know, keep a club going to pay all their wages. But if you just turn up and try and ruin in someone else's day and then you celebrate that, it's good once in a while. But if you're doing it every week, it's not... I think the ownership comes into it as well, you know. If you look at the teams who've done it, they've all had pretty sensible established owners. And for some reason, that has an effect of just keeping the equilibrium and not having a guy who's going to chop and change everything or bring signings in over the, the manager's head particularly. Watford chop and change everything, but the ownership know what they want to do and they stick to it. And they're committed. They're very committed to it. Once they lose the commitment, or if they're crazy, it tends to be when the clubs start plummeting. A quick word for Wayne Rooney, who had a 96-minute goal-saving tackle, then moved straight into a game-winning assist for DC United against Orlando City. Do we think Everton were too quick to let him go? No. No. (laughs) Potentially. (laughs) Oh, I like this. I'd like to know why. I just always think that you can benefit from a veteran with his experience and his ability, even if it is few and far between. It can make the difference sometimes. And if I understood why he didn't do the skulls thing and just move further and further back and become a sort of you know, quarterback <laughs> Until he was the goalkeeper. Player. Yeah, because he's rubbish at it. He's just not good enough at it. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. yeah, what makes him different is his energy and determination. I, I don't think it is. He's necessarily the most wise player with the ball or someone who's going to do something. And it's not his thought. It's his ability, really, as a physical level. That's me told. On to a segment now, a named segment, and we're calling it the cleverest moment of the weekend. JJ, you're nominating for us this week. Uh, What was the cleverest decision in this weekend's football for you? Well, it'll be a thing we see a lot of, and there are many clever decisions made throughout the the weekend. I really like what uh, Mauricio Sarri is doing with N'Golo Kante. So he's got a player who is essentially a, a ball, has been a ball-winning midfielder, one of the best players in the Premier League in the world, actually, for the last couple of seasons. And in Sarri's 4-3-3, it doesn't really suit having that kind of player. So he's had to adapt and, and put Kante into it. Under Antonio Conte, in the last two seasons, they played that 3-4-3, which is a 3-5-2 sometimes. His touch maps all last season, he's everywhere. Like he's in every single bit of the pitch, generally winning it. He's really high in interceptions, really high in tackles. And he'd often lay it off, and he's never really involved in goals. You know, his key passes, assists are quite low. He was a winger as a youth player, and he can carry the ball, and he's really quick. So in that 4-3-3, he's playing one of the two eight slots, if you're going with the, the Cruyff model. Uh, with George, which, which we insist on. It has to be Cruyff eight. model. All <laughs> Cruyff all the time. I, yeah, I just won't have anything else. I won't hear anything bad about the Cruyff model. Uh, Jorginho came in. He was, a, he was ace. He was really good in that holding role as a six. But they had Kante going in the right half space, getting right up to support the strikers, something he hasn't really done. He still gets to do all his winning of the ball, but again, his touch map, we're going into stats, was very heavily stuck within the the, in the right half space and right right wing. So he's just covering that bit of uh, the midfield for Chelsea, which means that they'll have that player that can do that and lay it off and the rest can do all their attacking fun. <laughs> do we think he's Chelsea's most important player, Matt? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. More so than Hazard. Really, he's. You saw. I mean, Hazard came on, but they they can win games without Hazard. Certainly with Conte, they couldn't win games without Conte. Maybe now Jorginho's come in that, that they could, and it's a bit different. But I, I really do think that they they massively, massively miss him when he's not there. I, the only thing I would say on on JJ's point, which I think is really good, is that I do think that the moment he moved to Chelsea, that Conte did actually try to put pressure on him to get around and, and up the pitch more and that he had to do a little bit more in terms of trying to attack, even though his numbers were bad at it. 
uh, at Leicester, he was very much the sitter. But there's going to be even more. There's clearly going to be even more responsibility on him now under Sari. Oh, yeah. What you didn't see with Conte, even though I, I, I think he did try to get him up the pitch, is he just wouldn't have been stood where he was stood to score that goal. There's no way he's just kind of standing still in the in the area waiting for the ball to come over with with Conte. So he's he's definitely going to have more attacking responsibility. And whether he's, you mentioned Keisha earlier, he's he's probably capable of of playing. A bit like that, and he'll have to. But he's he's so important to them, and he's he's invaluable because his personality is so unique within football. He's just happy to do whatever he's asked. He's got absolutely no ego whatsoever. Big part of why France won the World Cup, Mina. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you are going to win a World Cup, or as you've seen in, in previous years, it's always having players who are willing to sacrifice and do the dirty work in order to let the big players who have the creative flair to really shine. And that's what he is. And it's exactly that. He has no ego. He's happy to do what it is. And I just, I like that. I know that Antonio Conte was trying so hard at the time to, to do a more sort of continental style of midfield, but Sadi insists on it, you know, having a director who pulls the strings, having a box to box and having a destroyer who has to do a little bit more than just destroy. But the fact that he has all this energy and capability and vision and no ego, he is the perfect player. And I think anyone who has that player already starts a game one and up, in my opinion. Yes, he's an extremely valuable human being. The biggest news of the weekend, Nacklesfield versus Grimsby. Match interrupted. Goose on the pitch. What more could you possibly ask for? I saw a squirrel once at Loftus Road interrupt a QPR match. What is the weirdest stoppage in play you have ever seen and what caused it? Can I just say, so what? <laughs> what, about the goose? About the squirrel particularly. So well, what's wrong with the squirrel? It's a squirrel. You go it, to a park and see a squirrel. The, the, yeah. the joy is like when everyone got, get really excited about the cat running on the pitch. I get excited if a snake came on and ate a pigeon on the pitch or something. Or a player. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a tiger came on. But when like a cat gets in a stadium, or a dog, or or a squirrel, so what? But it's it's an incredibly surreal moment. It's the it's the juxtaposition of two things that you wouldn't expect to see with one another. Being the, outside and the being an animal. Well, but the whole is a stadium inside or outside is a whole other debate. But the joy of the squirrel at Loftus Road was it was a really boring game, and the play was do? at the other what end. Did it do? Did it it ran, do some keep you. It ran into the goal very slowly, and then we all celebrated like it was a goal. It's, it's quite like sad it. watching yeah. QPR. <laughs> I like it. I can raise you in your squirrel window. Please do. Two weeks ago at Queen's Park at Hamden, in the 90th minute, a seagull dropped a dead one onto the pitch. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. wow. That's better. <laughs> I liked it when the Villa fans invaded the pitch and there was a man just wearing a, a massive plastic dildo on his head. <laughs> that, that, for me... Was brilliant. So what? You're outside. You expect what, to see what, a man with a dildo on his head. What's made you this think at your... home? Do you know what? I'm going to strap a dildo to my head and run on the pitch. Well, we can only speculate. About four years ago, there was a weasel that ran on in in a Swiss game, and um, and it's just so funny to see all the players get so scared and start dispersing, and then this one defender comes up and it's like, don't worry, don't worry, picks up the weasel and then just suffers a huge bite. Weasel, <laughs> yes, see that's bit. better as well, right? Than just a squirrel running on and running in the goal. anecdote police. <laughs> 
all from Season 2, Episode 1 of AFC Telegraph. Contact me on Twitter if you'd like before next week's episode. It'll be with you on Monday. As ever, I'm at Tom with an H Gibbs. Please subscribe to our new podcast. If you search for Telegraph Audio Football Club anywhere you can search for a podcast, you're almost certain to find us. Thanks, of course, to Abby Patterson, returning hero for Season 2. She's on the buttons as ever. And thanks to you, of course, for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Congratulations for your patience. Let's reveal this week's mystery player. Yes, that's right. I'm Adrian Clark, former Arsenal and South End midfielder, and you've been listening to the Telegraph's Audio Football Club. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.